I'm John DiLiberto, and you are hearing the Echoes podcast, and today we're going to diverge a little bit from our usual podcast where we bring you fascinating interviews and insightful retrospectives on great albums. Instead, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to talk with Jeff Town on our 30th anniversary today. Jeff uh, has been with Echoes from the very, very beginning, uh, the first show at least. We did have somebody else in your position <laughs> for a few months before you came in. But Jeff has really experienced everything that we've done in Echoes, and he and I have done almost all of it together. So we're, gonna, we're just going to sit here and uh, reminisce about some of the amazing things that have gone on with Echoes in 30 years. We don't know how many interviews, but it's got to be thousands. How many living room concerts? It's got to be hundreds, if not thousands, that we have done over the course of 30 years. I think I calculated the programs to be 7,200. 7,200 programs. Yeah. That, that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, Jeff, did you think you would be here after 30 years? Well, I remember when I interviewed for the position, uh, you know, you sort of talked me into it and then said, okay, look, I got to be honest. This is probably not going to last. <laughs> did <laughs> so, I really say that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, so no. So, no. I thought this, this, you know, when we first started out, I figured, yeah, it might be an interesting experiment for a few years and yeah, we'll, yeah. See, we'll see what happened. Yeah, but it lasted five years. CPB, Corporation for Public Broadcasting, they gave us the initial seed money for the show and I think they gave gave us close to a million bucks over the course of uh, three or four years uh, to but do it. But that wasn't apparent at the beginning, right? I mean, no. it was, I mean, it was a big grant, but a but good deal less than that at the beginning. No, and, no. Yeah, but yeah. I still remember doing that grant, and you weren't here at the time, but it was Kimberly Haas and I were putting it together, and, and there was this deadline for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and they were actually looking for a show that was kind of in the, and I'm doing air quotes here, new age genre. And, you know, we were doing Totally Wired at the time. <laughs> And actually, explain what Totally Wired was. To totally Wired uh, was a music documentary show that we produced from 1982 to 1989. And it was uh, started out as an electronic documentary show and then wound up being kind of more of a new music documentary show. But we had everybody that was involved with that music uh, in the 1980s. So we were talking to Pioneers, Stockhausen, John Cage, people like that. We were talking to... Contemporary electronic musicians, Depeche Mode, Ultravox, you know, people like that. And then, of course, the space music people. So we were talking to, first of all, the pioneers, Tangerine Dream, Klaus Schulze, Cluster. Uh, and then we were talking to the next generation, Steve Roach, Robert Rich, Michael Stearns. And then we continued through uh, early ambient stuff, Brian Eno, of course. So lots of interesting people. But it was only a one-hour show. And we decided they needed more. And we didn't know really how we were going to go about doing that. But then the CPB thing came up, and they were looking for something in that zone. And Kim and I said, you know what? If we don't do this, somebody else is going to do it. It's going to suck, and we'll be pissed. So literally two days before the CPB deadline, and this is a big grant. I mean, it was like very complicated and big. We produced the demo. We created the concept for the show. We filled out the grant application. We did it all in two days, and, and we got it. We got it. Rick Madden, who headed CPB at the time, liked our proposal. And there were other big proposals in there, but they went with us. 
Well, I think you may have just answered Floyd's question. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Floyd Miller, who was uh, one of our friends, actually, and was with us back in the days of WXPN, uh, asked that question. So there you go, Floyd. That's the answer. We're in, in reality zone right now, although we're in our soundproof booth here. We're <laughs> just upstairs from the music center, the recording studio we use to record our living room concerts. And so if anybody's hearing any leaking music, there's some music lessons going on downstairs <laughs> yep. right now. But, one uh, of the fun things about being where we are right, right exactly silver michaels asked whether the meteoric rise of the internet was a help or a hindrance to the show i mean i'd say it was a help it was it was definitely a help well first of all echoes online we wouldn't be here without echoes online it's not like we have a ton of subscribers but we do have a nice group of subscribers and without the money that they pay to hear echoes on demand and echoes online only exclusive streams without those people the show couldn't exist we couldn't survive on the money we get just from public radio just wouldn't happen so that's been great and then the whole communication aspect uh, of, of connecting with listeners through the internet on Facebook Instagram Twitter whatever else that, that that's been great too it's also meant a lot of work I mean when we started the internet was literally not here at all it's, it's I can't even think that that was the case what did you say the other day that that people in order to get a playlist for the show they could call we had a phone line where they could call and we would read off the playlist. Yeah, we would literally read the playlist into an answering machine. Again, Kimberly got stuck with that most of the time. But again, occasionally be other people. And, and so you could call up and listen to listen to the playlist being read. Or we'd mail them out. And I mean, that's literally the only way you could communicate. And then similarly, we you know, in the first sort of uncomfortable, clunky days of the internet, we, we had playlists up on the gopher, which again was a pre-web internet, almost kind of billboardy thing, yeah. text-only text billboard thing. And it was really complicated, too. And we had some guy through the well, which was an early uh, internet communications uh, bulletin board place and everything that we were on. That was a lot of fun. But to to do the gopher was very complicated. We had to have some other guy do it for us. I can't remember his name now. Raven. No, Raven didn't do that with somebody else. Raven did our first website. Yeah. We paid him a lot of money. <laughs> well, but I remember at the same time we kept trying to get improvements to the gopher, and, and then finally they were like, no, 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 forget the gopher. Yeah. There's this thing called the web. So we had our first website. I can't remember what it looked like now. We should see if we can dredge up some old old pictures of it. But, uh, but yeah, those were definitely the primitive days. But also with the Internet, now nowadays – Obviously, a lot of musicians are sending us music directly through the Internet, mm-hmm. which is actually, I mean, a good deal more practical for a lot of people if they're international or low-budget or independent artists rather than having to produce and, a CD and, that and was a good, that's a yeah. good and bad thing. Yeah. Because the record companies, when we started, it was just record companies or you self-produced your, your record, your CD, which – cost a lot of money and was not a simple thing to do at the time. But that was a bar for musicians to get over to get us their music. And that was kind of a good thing in a way because it meant the people who were really serious were the ones who got their stuff through. And then with first burnable CDRs, anybody could get their music out because, you know, as long as they had the money to mail us a CDR. And then with the downloads, even more people. Now, literally, it did cost you nothing to produce your music and get it out there to a wider audience. But of course, that meant if if anybody could do it, everybody did. And so, you know, we're you, you get kind of overwhelmed here by the amount of music coming in. It's like pretty incredible. 
And from a pure structural environment, just for me, there are a whole lot fewer white-knuckled drives to FedEx with tapes <laughs> that we used to have to transport in a physical way, either through the mail or FedEx or UPS or something, to get them to an uplink. And now, finally, now we can just upload files, and that's a good deal less terrified driving for deadlines or driving to Washington, D.C. when we miss the deadline. <laughs> and yet you still wait to the last minute. <laughs> right now, it's like it's, it's the, the way of the world. Um, here's a big one. Again, our old friend Andrew Morrell, a, a reformed public radio person. <laughs> um, Andrew Morrell was the program director at Station WVIA in Scranton, uh, Pennsylvania, where we were on every night for years and years and kicked ass up there in terms of, of uh, audience. Yeah, but they still foolishly took us off several years ago. Well, even though that was only like an hour up the road, I first met Andrew when he was working at Hearts of Space, actually, oh. in San Francisco. <laughs> and so, yeah, funny small world. So, yeah, right. he was there for a couple of years, I think. So his big question, never should be surprised by that, is, well, what makes music echoes music? What makes music echoes music? I think about that sometimes. Like, what do I tell artists whose stuff we're not playing it's got to have a few things that, you know, you'd think are basic things, but generally has to have melody, generally has to have a pulse, generally has to have atmosphere. It's got to have at least one of those things. No, I think it's got to have two, maybe. It's like, I was going to say, it's like, I mean, in my, in my mind, it's like, yeah, there is a sort of cloudy central yeah. sort of aesthetic that like fits in in it. And when I keep thinking it's something to do with atmosphere, I think usually it has it, to be atmospheric it, in some it, way. It almost all has to have atmosphere. That's almost always got to be there. We'll take we'll take it with just a pulse and atmosphere or melody and atmosphere. But if it's got all three of those things, then it's generally good. But that's still like such an amorphous thing for me to say. It's got, got to kind of be chill. Yeah. You know, I mean, Jeff and I both love music that is very unchill uh, and very aggressive and dissonant. I mean, we, we both go to, went to Big Ears this year, which is like, we'll just take the top of your head off uh, in terms of its intensity and dissonance. But, you know, that's really not Echo's music. Echo's music has a mood. It's got an atmosphere. Um, well, it's meant to be a late night show, it's, right? It's, it's meant to be a late night show. And it's meant to be evocative. And, uh, and it's, it's music that's going to take you someplace. And, uh, you know, you could say that about a lot of music that we don't play, but I think it's especially important for the music that we do play. And that definition allows us to play a lot of different music. I mean, we're playing, you know, singer-songwriters like Talitha Rise, who's now just called Rise, and Heather Woods Broderick, and Ray LaMontagne, and Lana Del Rey. I mean, we even play Madonna from her... Uh, Ray of Light album, which is, you know, actually one of my favorite albums. And what's that got? It's got incredible melodies. It's got incredible atmospheres. It's got incredible grooves. And, and you know, and it's evocative. And that's why we play it. Yeah. I mean, and, and probably in yeah, relatively sort of less aggressive, yeah, relatively more yes. ambient with a little A. Right. You know. But we're also playing things like Steve Roach and you know, his latest album, Bloom Ascension, which is, you know, it's kind of got melody in a way, but it's 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 very abstracted or stretched out. It definitely has a pulse um, and it's, it's got a lot of atmosphere, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, that might segue a little bit uh, across to, you know, I felt like there was another theme with, again, some folks that have asked questions on the Internet of like, so what, what differentiates it from the program like? Star's End. It was also for folks that aren't in Philadelphia, 
may not know, it's a local space music program that John started in 1976-ish. Five, There's some, think, still yeah. some arguments about that, but <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> somewhere around there. And, uh, and it's still going now, but it's five hours overnight, but really sort of deep space show. But there's certainly some overlap from what mm-hmm. sort of the conception of Echoes and the conception of Star's End, but they're certainly not the same show. They're definitely not the same show, and, and Echoes was not – designed to be an extension of Star's End at all. If anything, uh, for local listeners in Philadelphia, it's kind of a merging of Diaspar and Sleepy Hollow. So it's Diaspar's progressive, electronic, ambient bent uh, of that show. And then it's Sleepy Hollow's chill, pastoral kind of moods that Sleepy Hollow, you know, used to get into. And Diaspora is a show that used to be on WXPN in Philadelphia in the evenings. It was an ultra-progressive music show, still one of the greatest shows ever on radio. I didn't create it. Uh, I was kind of identified with it uh, because I did it for so long. But it was an ultra-progressive show. You're talking, you know, progressive rock, all all the great progressive rock bands, Fusion, Ma Vishnu, Chick Corea, things like that, Uh, free jazz. Uh, you know, we were playing. We were playing Coltrane and the Art Ensemble of Chicago and things like that. Avant-garde music. We were playing minimalism. Philip Glass, Reich Riley. Uh, it was. It was just an amazing show. And then we got into new wave quite a, quite heavily as well in the eighties. Well, it's funny. Yeah, when I, I came to Philadelphia in the eighties, and I, I'd done. Uh, high school radio, or uh, we had a radio station in my high school that literally nobody listened to, but <laughs> I did radio shows there. But uh, I was sort of interested in getting into radio. I remember sort of scrolling around and finding the Penn radio station, WXPN at the time, and finding Diaspar and going like, whoa, I'm home. <laughs> this, this is the right place for me. Because <laughs> yeah, it was just absolutely mind-blowing to hear and then eventually to get involved with it a few years later. So yeah. that was amazing. I, I still remember you <laughs> right? as a young student. <laughs> Gotta, yeah, could come in and have to file your records. <laughs> back in back in the day, when it, once again they, those shows were yeah were largely improvised, um, and so there you know just be a giant stack of albums out there at, at you know at uh, you know fingers reach to grab one. And at the end of the show, there's often you know twenty five thirty LPs laying around that needed to get needed to get filed. So and we all still have dreams of of a trying you can't you can't find the record that you want to play. You find the record you want to play. You can't get it on the turntable. You get it on the turntable table you can't get a queued up you get a queued up something else bad happens you know <laughs> yeah real real time uh, improvisational lp based radio right. was definitely a little more exciting <laughs> definitely was um thank but, god for cds on echoes i mean really when we conceived the show we thought we would still be playing vinyl this is you know the grant came in in early 89 and cds were still just coming on then. And we used to have albums in the basement studio, remember? Yeah. Which I don't think we ever played. No, no we, <laughs> played, we played, played a couple. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, too like often. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, CDs made it so much easier to put the show together. Well, that is another interesting thing is once again, in the early days of the show, again, obviously it's been 30 years, but in the early days of the show, we actually were cutting the voiceover in real time. Mm-hmm. Like we literally, like we'd be like, we're doing a live radio show. We just happened to be rolling it to tape. And so I'd, you know, yell in the other room, you know, two minutes, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you'd have to run into the booth. Um, then eventually we had the sense to record you onto reel to reel. And so we could roll that off. But still assembling the show was jockeying three reel to reel recorders and two CD players and 
two, well, I guess one at a time, eight-track, multi-track tape machines and a DAT machine, and it was kind of nuts. And so actually nowadays, the idea of just sort of putting it in a computer and shuffling stuff around is just so amazingly more streamlined and mm-hmm. simple. And yep. it was pretty, pretty common. You really needed some extra hands back in the nah, beginning. I can't, so. can't believe we did it that way. Yeah, and a lot of sort of real-time stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Uh, well, this sort of dovetails a little bit in, in, into also again, yeah, like you know, what what makes Echoes music Echoes music. Um, that again, we had another question saying that it's felt that there's been a shift in overall scope of the music in the last few years, which is certainly true. But then Silver Michaels um, asked uh, about the sort of hippie music <laughs> late, lately, which <laughs> is uh, not, sort of specific to. The, yeah, I'm like not this, sure what he means by oh, that. I think actually. it's the, fl- the flashback fifties. I the think flashback fifties. Like you know, yeah, well, yeah. we've been doing these flashback fifties, and those are a lot of fun. We go back literally. 50 years, usually on the day that an album was released or that something happened, like for Woodstock. And we go back and, and look at these older albums because I think they're albums that are, you know, in the DNA of Echoes, even though that's not, you know, we don't play them uh, as regular rotation items. But, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, we, we go back to these things and some of them are iconic albums, you know, uh, the Jimi Hendrix albums, The Doors' first album, uh, some Beatles albums we did, Sgt. Pepper's for sure. And we do different things with them uh, next week. <laughs> We're doing King Crimson's in the Court of the Crimson King, which is like deeply in the DNA of the show. Uh, this week we did Pentangle, uh, Basket of Light, which I think people have kind of forgotten, but is definitely such a heavy influence on the whole Wyndham Hill sound of music and the whole acoustic fusion thing that, that went on in, in the uh, 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, yeah. No, it is interesting hearing some of those things. You wouldn't necessarily make the connection, but there is a connection. Yeah, there's a reason for it. And then that also might be a little bit associated with this also. That So Dave Fulton, again, a friend who's been on the show a couple of times, both on the band Dweller at the Threshold, but then also playing the Giles Reeves. And he's got a couple of solo projects going as well. So he's out in Oregon now, and he was asking, what, so how does individual taste in music define what's played on the show? And you, you know, constantly suggesting music to one another. Do you have any silence in your life? That's a lot of questions. <laughs> it, it is one. Just real, just quickly go out as people are surprised and know it's like, yeah, I don't listen to a ton of music at yeah. home. Jeff doesn't listen to a ton of music here. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff will be in his studio, and Jeff, you know, Jeff, I I, pl- I plan the shows out. I you know I, I sequence the shows, uh, but Jeff puts them together, and Jeff also programs the slow flow echoes shows. I think all but one are Jeff's. Um, so so he does that, but his studio will be silent. His studio will be silent all day. I'm, well, what the hell are you doing in there? We do have a, a radio show, right? Um, but yeah, I feel like I hear plenty of music. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in my studio, I'm auditioning stuff nonstop. There is no silence. Just to answer that question, there is no silence. I am auditioning music, you know, pretty much nonstop. Or I'm planning the show, or I'm doing a feature, or yeah. But then you go home and put a record on. Then I go home and put a record on, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've got music going all the time. And regarding taste, we don't play anything on the show we don't like. You know, there's stuff we love that we don't play on the show, but there's nothing on the show that we don't like. Now, some we like more than others. Some things sound great on the show, but, you know, I, I don't listen to them so often myself. But they do really work in the texture of the show. But uh, but there's nothing on the show that we play that, that we don't like. And I'd say most of the stuff we play, we kind of love. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pri- yeah, primarily, and and yes, and it certainly does happen in terms of uh, like suggesting stuff. I mean, I've definitely stumbled upon things, and I'm coming like, oh my god, you got to play this, John. We got we got to check this out, which works some percentage of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom McLaren wanted to know about the crossover. What's the intermingling of Echoes, Stars End, Hearts of Space? Like, you know, how did those shows develop and what are the interactions between them? Well, Hearts and, of Space is really interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, our show is nothing like Hearts of Space. We're like so much more aggressive and dynamic and we play a lot of singers and they don't play hardly any. Uh, our sets are shorter. We don't go for like an hour. You know, Stephen Hill talks at the beginning of the show and the end of a show, but we, we have more interaction with, with the music and, and the audience than, than he does. But nevertheless, this Hearts of Space is just so interesting. Stephen was actually on the Corporation for Public Broadcasting panel that funded Echoes, and Stephen was a big supporter of it. Him and another woman whose name, Ruth. I'm sorry, Ruth. She was wonderful anyway, and I knew her from WNYC, and they were both on the panel, and they were the ones who fought to get Echoes funded. You know, they were the ones who really wanted that. So there's that connection. And then Stephen and I, shortly after that, we didn't know each other until after that. Um, We became really good friends. And Stephen was, you know, in, in a way a mentor. He's a real techno head. So he would like, you know, whatever computer was the latest one to get, we would get, you know, whatever. Stephen was great with that. Then he ran the Hearts of Space label, and we played almost everything on that label. I mean, that was, they were putting out amazing music throughout the, the 80s, uh, into the 90s, into the 2000s, early. Uh, they were just putting out amazing music, Rasa, Steve Roach, Robert Rich. I mean, it was just one after another, and we were playing that stuff to death. So we had a lot of interaction with Hearts of Space, both on a professional and a personal level. And the thing is, yeah, I mean, un- un- under a microscope, they're certainly, yeah, they're very different programs, but they're still in the same universe. And oh, yeah. there's a lot of overlap. If you, you know, did a Venn like, diagram, yeah, there's definitely, you know, between the, those, what, three things you mentioned, Hearts of Space and... And Star's End. And Star's and, End yeah, yeah. And, and Diaspora, whatever. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, if you did a Venn diagram, yeah, there's, there's a big overlap in the middle, for and sure. There's a, yeah, they're you know, part of the same universe, for sure. So Matt Koldrick, who... Uh, Performs as Pan Electric. Pan Electric. Uh, and uh, Ambient. Absolute Ambient. Absolute Ambient. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> so Matt Koldrick, who has actually appeared on the show in, in the Pan Electric guys, but, or, or Absolute Ambient, I forget which It was which kind of in between. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure. Exactly. Because cause we had Matt Hillier, Ishk, was in that session right. also when we were one of our trips over to England. But but he basically performed live for us on a living room concert, what we were calling living room concerts for many, many years. And so he asked, how did the living room concerts evolve? Yeah. And they certainly have evolved. They, they evolved. Evolved, you know, and, and went through a lot of concepts initially. Initially, we were just going to ask people, hey, play a concert for us at your house and send us a tape. And we thought, well, that's stupid. <laughs> you know. Could have worked, but, you uh, know. And then we thought, well, we'll come out to your house and, and we'll record the concert. And initially, we used to have audiences. And we'd say, hey, why don't you invite some people over so we have an audience? And, you know, you'll play some music. We'll record it. I'll be there and I'll be talking to you. And we did that. For like several years, yeah, and I, th- I think we thought that the audience would focus the performance. That's right. We yeah. thought we thought the audience, you know, with an audience there, they wouldn't be going to do retakes and restarts and everything else that makes things kind of tedious. And and they think yeah. of it as a real. Concert. And they think of it yeah. as a real yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> well, yeah, they ended up being distracting most of the time. Right. It's like, you know, yeah. they just didn't behave properly. No, or like, no or, some of them did. Yeah, some of yeah. them did. I remember right. David Torns was like dead on. Uh, even when he when he screwed up, I remember he did one with like some crazy loop. And he said, you know, sometimes you just got to live with the loop. Right. <laughs> um, but other ones would do. I'm, I'm not going to mention the name because he actually wound up doing. We had one guitarist, great guitarist. He did a million retakes and file saves, Alex Degrassi. He did a million retakes, false starts, kept coming back. It took forever to record this thing. Now, subsequently, he did three or four more Living Room concerts, and they were all boom, boom, boom. Just knocked him out great because he's a great guitarist. But he just didn't quite have it under his fingers that day. So there's two things. The audience didn't help focus a thing. And also we start thinking – Wow, what an imposition on these musicians. Hey, invite 20 of your friends over, throw a party, and we'll right. have a concert. Right, right, yeah. Right, right, get, right get, get a show together and throw a party. Right. And, right, and, so, and we, so we stopped doing that. But we were still traveling to these musicians uh, all over the country. Um, and, most, and most, very often in living rooms. Yeah, and, 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 well, very often in living rooms or their home studio or their garage. I, I think we used to say we've recorded living room concerts in closets and cathedrals. And that's true. We recorded Paul went to consort in the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. And we recorded Arie Frankfurter in his closet in yeah. San Francisco. It was a, it was a good size closet, but it was tight. Actually. It, was, it, was it was noisy. Tight. Yeah, he, had, right. he had like a jackhammer out, outside the yeah, house. Yeah, I remember yes. he was heartbroken because yeah, they had started street construction outside his house or as we had right. this scheduled, which he didn't realize. And so outside noise yeah. was not so often a problem, yeah. surprisingly. But uh, yeah, and Matt, Matt Coldricks was an interesting one because I remember Jeff and I flew to Gatwick Airport in London and then drove two, three hours. Yeah, well, we flew overnight. We yeah. flew overnight. Yeah. So we're getting up the next morning, uh, right off the plane, flew directly to Matt Holder, Dr- drove. who was, yeah, drove, yeah. was in the south of England. And it was great. He had a great concert. We had a great time. Yeah, but we were a little blurry, that's we for sure. Wasted. We <laughs> were so <laughs> wasted. Yeah, but it was, it was a very, very good performance. Um, but then in more in more recent times, again, we were doing a little less traveling, but we were still calling them living room concerts because people were coming. And for many years, we produced the show out of your House. Out of my house, and the so studio people, was in the basement, yeah. but the concerts we would do in my living room or my den, so we would bring in a piano. So we had rented in a piano for George Winston, which I still can't believe, twice right uh, in my house and with like a, a grand nine, piano, nine foot Steinway which that, pretty much filled yeah. my living room or my den. <laughs> yeah, not much room for <laughs> yeah, it. It was else, not yeah. a mansion, trust me. It was like a just a regular old run-of-the-mill colonial house. But those were amazing. We had Lisa Gerard in my living room. That's like blows my mind. And on the other hand, you know, we went to England and we, you know, I was sitting, Jeff and I right now are sitting facing each other. We're about four feet away, five feet away from each other, which is about how far I was from uh, Sheila Chandra when she performed for us uh, in Glastonbury in England. We went to her little cottage that she had. Just just amazing stuff. Absolutely. Well, actually, that meshes nicely into a, a question that, again, I, I'd been thinking about recently. And so, OK, I did not prepare you for this, but so... Maybe I won't make you pick one, but outstanding living room concert performances. Oof. I got a couple. <laughs> Jeff, that's a really good question. I, it's a question I should be prepared for. Okay, uh, well, we'll just see if this jogs you at all. Here's here's my here's my the top of my list. Michael Hedges. Yeah, that was great. Pat Metheny. Uh, first, the, the one first, great. One, first one, especially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a uh, and Sheila Chandra, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah. It's like a, um, Andreas Vollenweider. 
and what mostly blew my mind is like, I sort of showed up and, and I remember part of the thing you mentioned before going, hey, if you have any instruments around, bring them. <laughs> and, you know, all of a sudden by the, by the end of it, said, I realized it's like we probably could have given him a popsicle stick and he would have made like a really great concert. He's just one of those guys that yeah. can just, he's just a musician that can just really play. He just, anything is music to him. Uh, yeah. Really, Andreas Vollenweider was simply, simply amazing. Blew my mind every time. In fact, one time he his harp didn't come. His harp, and yeah, we had to go out and get a harp, so I borrowed some Celtic harp from somebody. He played the koto yeah. that I had, that somebody given me. I don't play the koto. Somebody, for some reason, gave us a koto. We we yeah, had it in the house. He played, concert he played it. Yeah, yeah. It made it sound great. Yeah, um, yeah that's amazing. Uh, yeah, concerts, I don't know. Someone mentioned Osric Tentacles, I think. Yeah. So those were great. That was two oh, yeah. two great concerts, man. Those those were just amazing. Um, oh, God, there were so many. I mean, Happy Road still stands out in my mind because she'd completely reconfigured her concept yeah. you know, for this performance. And it was like, yeah, this is completely different from the album, but maybe even maybe better in a way. Right. It was just, yeah, pretty pretty magical. I tend to remember the interviews more than the concerts for some reason. So okay. like, Okay, so outstanding interviews. Brian Eno, for sure, was just amazing every time I talked to him. It was just a few times. I think even during the Echoes era, it might, it might have been four or five times. Had not since two thousand three or so, but before then, like you know, four or five times, just just for echoes, and then for totally wired as well. Yeah, I mean, those were interviews where man, you you needed to be prepared. But he was just so great. He was so great, so articulate. So you know, he's, he's such a conceptual thinker about his music, and and you know, he he understands it in like almost all ramifications, the history. Uh, the context, the the emotion, everything about it. You know, Brian's he's just got it nailed. Just a fascinating guy to talk to. Vangelis was great. We actually interviewed him for Totally Wired, like right when he was doing the Blade Runner soundtrack. But then we interviewed him in two thousand one for Methodia in Athens, which was like pretty amazing. That was that was a pretty extensive interview with him. So any anybody you can think of that really surprised you that like you know. You know, you didn't have any great hopes for, and all of a sudden you realize that, like, <laughs> wow, this is uh, what a fascinating person. <laughs> I don't know. I just listened to the interview with Natasha Khan of Bat for Lashes. She was great. I mean, she was so articulate and so funny, and uh, you know, had some really great things to say about her music. She was she was a lot of fun. Sheila Chandra was brilliant once again. I mean, she was just one of the most sm- one of the smartest women I've ever met. She's just so brilliant. Again, someone who knows the history of her music, but also has this wider musical interest uh, that that she brings in. Uh, that she was she was fascinating. Um, who else? Will Ackerman is great. You know, guys always has great stories. You know, he remembers just about everything. He's the founder of Wyndham Hill Records, also a half decent acoustic guitar player, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and he he's he's always just got got great stories, and uh, you know, it's it's usually the people who really love music and who you know listen as well as play. And a lot of musicians don't think conceptually about their music. Uh, and th- those tend to be the not interesting interviews, you know, where they just, uh, you know, ones that just say, you know, I just play what comes into my head. That's well, all very good. That's all very good, but, you know, it's boring. <laughs> Fake it. Make up something. <laughs> or, I mean, we're also certainly encountered people, again, that are just, you know, a little too rehearsed that, like, you know, to some yeah. degree, like, yeah, 
having a story ready is good, but on the other hand, like, you know, it's good to be engaged with the interview rather than just reading your talking points. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I, like, remember, I remember interviewing Steve Reich, and I've interviewed him a few times. I remember, I think it was probably the last time, no, the second to last time we did them. And I remember him saying these things. He's like really making these incredibly strong statements about anti-Semitism and Wagner and stuff. And then I think I heard him on Fresh Air the next week. Exact same quote. I mean, exact with the same like intensity. <laughs> right. And I mean, I'm sure he, I'm sure he meant it. But it's right. like, yeah, but suddenly it seemed a little less spontaneous. Right. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so John Redinger did uh, mention Osric Tentacles, as you had mentioned. And he would said... I hope your neighbors like it loud. <laughs> and, uh, I remember saying that. Right, exactly, which is, which is kind of true. And that, that is an interesting thing in terms of, uh, yeah, that's something that, again, ostensibly is related to a lot of people. But boy, it does get intense. Yeah. And yet somehow seems to fit in the Echoes universe. In the, in still, the Echoes, you know. Echoes, Echoes ecosystem, yeah. Right, 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 exactly. <laughs> it's like, but they, you know, they have an aggressive drummer and, and you know, and, and um, screaming guitar leads. And right. somehow it still fits with the folky, more ambient sort of things that we play also. Right. So it's interesting. We, we kind of cut ourselves off talking about the living room concerts, but those did evolve. Right. And so we used to travel to do most of the concerts. Mm -hmm. And when said living room concerts, they were we did we did a handful in our house. And whenever we did our collection albums, there'd be three or four that we record in the house and the other 10 or so were recorded like in a musician's home or home studio or or something like that. We almost never do concert venues or anything like that. We've done a few, but not too many. But then, you know, money dried up. We weren't getting as much money. Record companies used to fund a lot of that. They would pay us to go out and record somebody in Los Angeles, and we would add on like 10 other acts <laughs> in, in like three or four days that we were in L.A. And doing, we were doing like two a day, uh, often. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That was it's not like, rare. That was yeah. that was often. We would do a, a and like and if you know L.A., that's like not an easy proposition. But that money went away, and so musicians started having to come to us. And so fortunately, Philadelphia is a major music market, and a lot of bands come through. And especially since we've been playing more singer-songwriters and, and alternative rock bands and things like that, you know, they're always touring and coming through. But we were doing them in, our stu in the studio below us, the music center. Uh, that, that's where they were all done, all done now. So we don't really call them living room concerts anymore publicly. We still use it internally because it's a shorthand for us at LRC. But. And, and at one point, we sort of changed the conception of it's like, well, you're probably listening in your living room. And yeah. so there's still a concert for the listener's living room. You know, right. So, you know, you, you might hear us slip and still call them a living room concert but from I, time but to time. But I miss, I miss, I miss. I miss that touring we used to do, even though some yeah. of those gigs were hellacious. I, you're talking about memories. I'll never forget that 93 trip to London. So we're going to London to record. We had, must have had at least a dozen people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, once again, two, three yeah. things a day, like two concerts plus interviews plus every interviews, day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. But the thing was, so we're there. We're, we're getting shows ahead. We were trying to get ahead on the shows, so get like the next week's show out because we weren't going to be there to actually do it. And the basement floods. <laughs> well, as, as we're literally as we're leaving, for as the we're airport, leaving yeah. for the airport, the yeah. basement floods. All we did was lift everything up off the Just floor, unplug everything, and get it off the it floor, and walk away, and yeah. walked away. Yeah, <laughs> right. We go go to London, and we were just going straight out. I mean, it was Roger Eno, Najma, uh, Sheila Chandra, uh, Gavin Bryars was on that trip. God, there were so many things, and we were 
Well, three um, of and there were three of us. Well, Kimberly, Jeff, and I, and we were all doing interviews separately. Jeff and I were coming together for the concerts. Heidi Berry was on that tour. Right, right, right. Um, I, I interviewed Oyuki Conjugate. I right. That. But what I also remember about that is that we really spent most of our time lost. <laughs> that, just again, this is pre GPS. Like you know, everybody didn't have a GPS, and just sort of trying to follow, you know, sort of you know map directions in London. A to Z. Right. Right. Exactly. And trying to and trying to yeah trying to find our way around um, in a car while driving on the wrong side of the road was like not efficient. I did a good job of that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. We made it. We made it everywhere. We were a little late a couple times, but... Uh, um, but I, I miss those trips. They yeah. were they were they were fun, and you know you get to hang with the musicians sometimes, and that was great. We went out went out to a pub with Roger Eno, I remember after his session, which was a pretty wild session in itself. Yeah, I miss I miss that aspect of the show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and just going out, and actually, again, it makes a difference. I mean, when we can, and again, unfortunately, it's not always practical to interview people in their own locations. But when we can, boy, it is a different thing to sort of get a sense of you know right where they're living, where they're creating, what you know, you get a little sense of what they're about. It's always kind of preferable to go to the artist if you can. Right. But it's less less practical these days. Less but, practical. You know, do it. Do it now and then. But but still, great musicians yeah. come in. Yeah. We still have wild concerts like Flow this past weekend. Flow departure. Fiona Joy, three three concert sets, and then additional tunes for our for our Christmas shows. <laughs> so yes, we effectively did five concerts in one day. Yeah, and yeah, that that, that might have been straining the edges. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's been a great great thirty years, Jeff. I it really mean, has. It's been yeah. amazing. I'm so glad you've been here. Honestly, well, even you know you can't here, tell yeah. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's true. But no, but I was just like, you know, I was just thinking about that once again, you know, looking back and as, yeah, but what a, what an interesting 30 years, mm-hmm. like absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Between meeting these people and just hearing all this incredible music. And, and you know, we've named you know, a lot of the big bands, but it's actually a lot of the kind of, I don't know, middle level people that are often like we've had the greatest relationships with. I'm thinking of Azam Ali. For instance, who who is our CD of the month this month, and we interviewed her last month, and you know we've yeah, known her forever. But we know, discovered forever, forever. her when no one knew knew who the hell she was. You know, when she was in this duo called Voss, which was great, and we went to their house and recorded an amazing concert with them, and we did that like two more times, I think, with mm-hmm. Voss. Um, and now now she's with Niaz, and you know the the relationships that we've built up with some musicians, Jeff Johnson. You know, got such a great relationship with him, Will Ackerman. You know, these these people are. You know, I'm I'm always hesitant to to say they're friends because it's like a professional thing. And but you know that these we've become friendly with these people over the years, and that that's been an amazing thing. All right, man. All right. Well, well thank you, Jeff. Yeah, and well, I was going to say it's like a, I remember when, when Laraji was in, in here the other day, and you were sort of commenting that again you'd you'd last seen him what thirty years earlier, yeah. or something. Yeah, he, he was he was totally wired. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And then he'd sort of commented going like, "Well, I can't guarantee we'll see you in another thirty, but so yeah, so yeah, I'm not sure we got another thirty in us, but <laughs> and just like you're saying that, yeah, we had Laraji in here the other day. I'm thinking, holy cow, we had, right. oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, no, no, no that, that's the other thing is like, actually I feel bad pointing out some favorite my blowing concerts because I mean really the majority of them have been pretty amazing yeah and so yeah I don't mean any disrespect to any of the performers no, no, there's, there's been so um, many sitting here you know sitting like this far away from Jeff Pierce even though I fell asleep during his first concert. <laughs> but, you know, it's great. Michael Galazian, who was in here recently, just like, you know, oh, incredible, you know, and and uh, just amazing, amazing, amazing 
30 years. I mean, I would have never imagined it, although it's actually what I wanted to do. You know, I mean, I charted the course that I wanted to be on, but I still can't believe it actually happened. Yeah, well, well no, it's another thing that when you know, we're first talking about whether I'd come on to work for Echoes, you know, you know some of you are going, yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to last, but also just what kept running through my mind is just I'm rolling it over and I'm like, Wait, you got, you want to pay me for what I like to do in my spare time? <laughs> I can I can make that work <laughs> because again I you know I had been volunteering at WXPN doing right. doing radio programs and yeah recording music in my spare time when I could and you know and yeah, yeah I mean I'd done a couple of interview production things at XPN and so to some degree going like oh wait you want you want me to do all that stuff that I just do anyways <laughs> as a job <laughs> like sure I can do that. Well, that was a lot of fun, and if you stuck with us to this point in the podcast, you must be a true Echoes fan, which is why I'd like to ask you for a donation to Echoes. We've been bringing you chilled music and great interviews like this for three decades now. Drop by echoes.org on the donations page and make a contribution to Echoes right now. And this week only, October 3rd through the 6th, you can be the first on your block to get our new limited edition 30th anniversary Echoes t-shirt for your donation of $30. That's $30 representing 30 years of Echoes. That's like one buck for each year. Go to echoes.org again. Support the great music and artists we play right now. Next week on the Echoes podcast, we'll hear our interview with Tycho and Saint Center and a flashback 50 to Pentangle's Basket of Light, including an interview with the late guitarist John Remborn. I'm John DiLiberto. Thanks for dialing up the Echoes podcast. See you next week, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or online right now on Echoes.